Hey moms, welcome to On the Front Porch. I'm Dorinda Wilson, and this is a new series in my podcast with the purpose of talking about whatever God is laying on my heart in a sort of mentoring style, as if we were sitting on the front porch having a conversation. I can't tell you how many moms have said to me, I wish we could just sit on the front porch and talk. And you know what? I say I wish that too, because I really enjoy that. So this is the closest thing that I can do to try to make that happen. But what I'm going to do here with this series is, like I mentioned before, do a sort of mentoring style where we're just having a conversation on the front porch and I'm sharing things with you, stories to inspire faith and instill wisdom, encourage godliness, and encourage you in your relationship with God. Because that's what a mentoring mom does, and that's what happens in a mentoring relationship, is someone who's a little bit older, maybe a little more seasoned with a little more experience, reaches back and, and puts out a hand to help those who are a little bit further behind in the journey. And you know, the thing I love about mentoring is just the fact that I can take the hard lessons that God has taught me and the wisdom that I've gained from walking through various trials, difficulties in my own life. I can take those and show you how God revealed himself to me in those situations. Because you know what? We can learn from others. The Bible says that... um, It talks about mentoring type scenario when it comes to women in the church. In Titus 2, it talks about older women um, encouraging the younger women to love their husbands and children, um, to be busy at home. um, And and that's what I want to do here on this podcast. And you know, I've already done that on many other episodes. Um, But the difference between this one and the other ones that I've done is this is going to be probably a little more spontaneous as God leads, as God lays things on my heart. He's already laid something on my heart for the next episode, and I actually already recorded that. But I wanted to do an introductory, uh, sort of a pilot episode, because I think it's important to understand your mentor. You know, um, if we chose someone to be our mentor, one of the first things we would want to know is we'd want to know more about their lives. What have they walked through? Um, what's their background? What's their perspective on things? Um, a little bit of their history. And so that's what I'm doing today is I'm going to share with you um, just a brief overview sort of of my life story. And some of you have been listening to me uh, for a while now. You know me fairly well, but there's probably going to be a lot of things that you didn't know about me that I'm going to be sharing in this podcast. It helps us uh, get to know each other a little bit better. You know, um, again, I think it's important to know where a person is coming from, where their perspective is coming from. Because really, my hope and prayer is that as I share some of my life story, some of it will be here in sort of a brief overview, but I'll go more in depth in other uh, podcast episodes because 
what I really want is I want to testify to you of God's faithfulness, of his sovereignty and his goodness in my own life, because I think it's our stories that really make a difference. It's, it's stories that inspire us. Somebody sitting there telling you, you should do this, you should do that, you should do this, doesn't really do much for most people. But what I love, and I think what most people love, are stories. And so this podcast series will have stories involved in it, things that have happened um, along the way that, um, again, show, uh, can, can really paint a clear picture and testify to God's faithfulness because our faith feeds from one another. That's why it's so important to live in community. So I'm excited to be here. Um, the other opportunity I think that I have with this podcast is to bring a broad range of topics. So you know I've done a series on homeschooling boys. I've done um, a series on the homeschool life that I'm continuing to do. Um, I've done a devotional series. So each of those were sort of dedicated to more specific topics. This particular podcast is going to be a broad range of topics as God lays them on my heart. So it's going to be sort of akin to having a seasoned mom in your life. And I don't know about you, but I had a hard time finding those um, along the way. Well, um, when I was first married and, and having kids, every now and then there would be a person that I could talk to briefly, but I never had, um, uh, you know, a lot of seasoned moms in my life that I could really count on. I, there's one in particular that I know that I actually still count on to this day that I've known since I was 18. And um, she's about the only one um, that I've been able to really uh, reach out to regularly. Um, so I'm hoping that I can provide that sort of, uh, that sort of relationship for you. Um, this is the beauty of technology is, you know, if you, if you can't find it in real life for one way, for one reason or another, because it can be very hard to get together with people, even when you have a lot of small children at home or a big family or just a lot going on. And so I'm hoping that God will somehow use this in your life to encourage you. Moms, I don't have all the answers. I am not perfect, and you will learn that as you listen to my story and as you listen to um, some of the stories that I tell along the way. I'm far from a perfect mom, but I can testify to God's faithfulness in spite of my imperfections. Um, and I can also testify to His great love for me in working in my life so clearly. And so those are the things that I'm hoping to share with you. And again, you have the freedom to chew up the meat and spit out the bones. I don't know if you've ever heard that phrase, but it basically means take what um, affirms what God is already speaking to your heart and just toss out the rest for now. Because, you know, we, we, can't, we can't always take everything in and do everything. What I want to see is I want to see you walking in relationship with God and hearing his voice and knowing when he's speaking to you about something and then knowing also when he's not speaking to you about something specific. So you have the freedom, like I said, to chew up the meat and spit out the bones. Take what um, affirms what God is already speaking to your heart. So as I told you before, today I'm sharing a brief overview of my life. And um, I want you, as you listen, maybe you maybe questions are going to pop into your head. 
what I would love for you to do is, is let me know if you have questions or topics that you want to know more about, things that come to mind. Um, just email me at um, Dorenda at DorendaWilson.com. And I will take those and do my best to answer those questions or to cover those topics, um, whatever the case may be. So I want to thank all of you. I was going to pull up some of the the comments, but um, there are quite a few of you who have left uh, some reviews. Um, And I just want you to know that I've read them. I was going to pull them up and read some of them out loud to you, but that would take a little too much time right now because I didn't have it pre-pulled up, if that's a word. (laughs) But thank you. I just want to say thank you for leaving reviews um, from the platform that you're listening to, listening from, because what that does is uh, it encourages the platform to uh, put my podcast in front of more moms. And the purpose is not so that I become great or my name becomes great, but so that God's name becomes great and so that more moms are encouraged. So if you just leave even one or two sentences, it helps make that happen. All right. So today, um, like I mentioned before, I'm going to be doing a brief overview of my life. So here we go. So my parents uh, got pregnant with me before they were married. And although both of them came from church-going Uh, families, my parents don't believe that they were actually saved until I came onto the scene. Uh, They found out uh, that they were pregnant with me and they realized they really did love each other and they wanted to spend the rest of their lives together. And so they got married and they were 19 and uh, my mom was almost 19 when I was born and my dad was 18. And so this young couple said, we're going to take on this responsibility and we're going to move forward with our lives. And that's exactly what they did. And both of my parents really were committed to being the best parents that they knew how. And like any parent, they made mistakes. But I can honestly say, I know that they did their very best. And there were so many good things that I uh, benefited from in my childhood. And a couple of those things were the fact that my dad was a very hard worker, very bound and determined to provide for his family. And he did that. And it was a struggle sometimes. We struggled financially sometimes, but my parents taught me that money wasn't everything. And they taught it to me by their actions um, because family was absolutely the most important thing to them. And they wanted a close, tight-knit family. And we had that. Um, My mom was a stay-at-home mom most of the time. Periodically, she would uh, take on a part-time job and always inevitably end up quitting and coming back home because she just didn't feel like she could do a good job at home and work at the same time, even part-time, and it just wasn't worth it to her. And my dad was always supportive of that. He never said to her, no, you need to keep working. He always said, no, you should come back home please do, you know, and so she would come back home and, and this only happened, you know, a handful of times. Um, and a few times it worked for a a good amount of time. She was a bus driver for a while and that worked well for our family and our family schedule at the time. And so, but I would say overall, my mom was a stay at home mom. And the one thing that my mom, especially my dad too, but my mom really, really made a point of emphasizing to me that motherhood was the best job in the world. 
She said that there was nothing that was more satisfying, more gratifying than being a wife and mom to her. And you know, that's not something you hear about these days. It's something that people push back against and especially the culture says, oh, that's embarrassing. You should never say that. That's not empowering to women. Well, I, it's a lie. I'm just going to tell you guys, it's a lie from the pit of hell because God has created us for this. And I realize that not every woman becomes a mother but we all have that nurturing nature in us um, to one degree or another. And whether we nurture um, you know, other people or other people's children through teaching or whatever, um, we do tend to have that nurturing nature. And, and that's a gift. That's a gift from God. And we should be proud of that gift. And we should um, embrace that gift and walk in it. And so from a very, very young age, and this I don't believe was just because of my mom. I had this deep, deep desire that I know was from God, that I just wanted to be a mom in the worst way from a very, very young age. I loved kids. I loved children. I loved pretending and playing house. Um, and and I always wanted to be the mom. It always needed to be a, f- a family scenario. Um, I just, I just love the idea of being a mother. So our family moved around a lot. I'm not exactly sure why. My dad um, just found work in different places, and it really doesn't actually even matter to me why we moved that much. Um, Those of you who have military or in military families, you can probably understand uh, what this is like, and a, a lot of parents would feel bad because they had to move their kids a lot. And some kids don't do as well as others with it. I actually did really well with it. Um, We lived in the country. We lived in the city. I had to continually make new friends. Um, But in that process, uh, the one thing that was always stable and secure was our family life. And so I think that's part of what made the moves easier is that family life was stable and, and secure. And I felt safe because I had my people with me wherever we went. (laughs) And I think that's something to pay attention to as a parent. One of the most, the basic core need of every human being is safety and security. And so if that's ever being compromised with your children for any reason, do everything in your power to regain that back into your life as a family and into your kids' lives. Um, We recently took on um, a foster child. He's not actually in the foster care system, but um, he is a 17-year-old young man living with us. And this is one thing that we have been reminded of is that his number one need right now as he adjusts to being in our family and finally landing in a safe place is that he is safe and secure and there's nothing he's going to do that is going to make us send him away. And um, I had no idea... I mean, I knew that was an important thing, um, but really it's been sort of uh, had the magnifying glass on it and it's been had the light shone on it recently. So I think that's why I did well um, moving around a lot. I, also, I think it's just how I'm wired. Um, Ka- Dr. Kathy Cook talks about the eight great smarts. It's a book I'm reading through with our 16-year-old right now. And I think I'm, I've got some people smart and some word smart Um like I said, there's eight eight smarts and uh, and self smart. So those are things that probably really helped me um, as I as I move from place to place. But I have very fond memories with our family, even though we moved around a lot. Um, there was areas where we stayed in uh, for the most part. So a lot of the friends stayed the same for a good chunk of time um, in my childhood, probably from about fifth grade to. Uh, fourth grade to eighth grade was was pretty darn stable. But anyway, 
some of the greatest memories I have um, that I think really impacted my life the most were my parents always um, initiating conversations with me. My dad would be out on the back patio and he would be grilling and he would regularly invite me back to just talk to him. And we would talk about politics and we would talk about theology and we would talk about our walk with the Lord. That was something we talked about a lot. We would talk about the Bible. We would talk about life. We would talk about what's important and what isn't. And there was just this sense of belonging that came with that. Um, and I always really appreciated that. And I always knew that my mom was there for me. I remember when I was in junior high, I was really having a lot of trouble. I was at the greatest little school ever. It was a country school. But no matter where you are um, in that particular, uh, at that particular age, um, it's just a hard age. And I had a, one particular gal um, who was my age and in my grade who was really, did not like me. And she kept hassling me and... Um, it was kind of a bit of drama for me. I'm not a big drama queen, but it did it did actually invoke some drama in me. And I remember going home and knowing when I got home that my mom would be there and I could talk to her about anything and she would pray with me. And I also loved when I would walk in the door and um, mom had just cleaned and the house smelled clean and there were cookies coming out of the oven. That's the kind of mom I had. And you know what's interesting about that? Neither of my parents have degrees. We didn't have a lot of money. Um, but boy, I'm telling you, the family life was the bomb. And honestly, moms, I'm going to tell you right now, you do not need to feel guilty if, you're, if you don't have a lot of money to spend. Honestly, as I've walked this out with my own, in my own life, with my own husband and our big family, um, it has been something that has brought us together because we've had to be creative. We've had to, we've seen it as an adventure. Instead of looking at it like, oh gosh, I wish we had more money and we could take our kids to Disneyland, which by the way, we never have. And they don't even care. <laughs> um, it, it's, it's the quality of life. The quality of life is not dependent on money. And my parents taught me that. And so, I mean, there were times we had money, there were times we had things like a ski boat and we got to go skiing. And my parents actually took me to Disneyland, but our relationship didn't hang on that. And that never was like the thing that made our life great. It was our family life that made our life great. And there was just this sense of belonging and there was a sense of identity. I knew who I belonged with and I, I, I eventually began to find out who I was. And I remember when I was struggling as a teenager out of high school, I was waitressing and not sure exactly what direction God wanted me to go. Cause you know, well, I don't know what just happened because I thought, man, when I graduated from high school, Mr. Wright would be waiting there on the other, uh, other end of the platform after I picked up my diploma. Well, that didn't happen. And so all of a sudden I realized, oh, and you guys, I know that the world would listen to this testimony and say, this is lame. I can't believe that she even wanted to get married that badly and have a family. You know what? That's what I wanted. That was my heart's desire. That is what I was praying for. And you know what? I'm 53 right now, and I have absolutely not one single regret. I am so grateful that God allowed me to be a wife and a mother. It's been the one of the single most joyful things in my entire life. I love my kids. I love that I've been a mother and I know I haven't wasted my life. 
So I just want to encourage you with that. So my mom was home, and oh, what I was going to tell you is when she was a, when I was a teenager and I was struggling with where am I going to go? What am I going to do? What, what do I do with my life? Right? I don't want to go to college. I even tried to go talk to a counselor at a community college, and I sat there, and everything within me was like, run, run for your life, Dorinda. This is not the place for you. And there were a lot of reasons I felt that way, um, but the, it really doesn't matter. What matters is I felt like God was talking to me and telling me this is not for you. And I was good with that. So I left very happily, went back to my job at Sizzler. I was a waitress there. And um, at, at as I'm struggling through this, maybe it was in high school, actually. It actually was in high school that my mom wrote me this letter. As I was thinking about different careers, she wrote down the things that she thought that I might be good at. And what would be good and negative about each of those things. She, she sat there and she did the research. And, you know, back then there was no internet, right? So she, she had to look things up and find things out on her own and then write them all out. And I still have the letter. But she wrote in that letter all these different things that she thought I would be good at. And the very last one, she said, above anything else in this whole list of things, I can tell you that being a mother is the greatest job in the world. And she went on to explain why she thought it was the greatest job in the world. Don't you guys love that? It was such an encouragement to me. This wasn't my mom giving me a sales pitch. This was my mom sharing her heart with me and sharing what I believe was God's heart for her and God's heart for me. I think God has a special place in his heart for moms. I think he has a very, very tender spot for moms. You think about Mary and, and um, just the gentleness of Mary and, and the gentleness of, of God speaking to her. And um, I think about the, the stable and, and after she had baby Jesus and she uh, just sat back and pondered all of these things in her heart. That's what mothers do. Don't you love that? I just love that. So my dad, my mom was very, very, my parents were very routine. So that was another thing. We had a definite um, family schedule, but my dad would bust it to pieces every now and then and just be spontaneous out of the blue. He'd be like, all right, we're all going to the lake and we're going to have a barbecue. And we'd stop on the grocery store and we'd pick up the briquettes and the meat and we'd go out to the beach and we'd, or the, you know, the lake, because we lived in the Central Valley in, Washington, in uh, California. And we'd go to the lake and we would just have a great day out at the lake, you know, and that was dad. Or a Sunday afternoon, he would say, you know what, we're not going to go home after church. We're going to go to the movies or I'm going to take you out for dinner. I'm going to take you guys out for dinner. Let's go out for dinner. Let's go to the water slide. And so he would periodically, randomly, spontaneously burst out into some fun activity um, that we would all go on. So um, those are just some of the very, very best memories that I have. Um, the one thing that we did every single day, almost without exception, was we had dinner together. And I've carried that same tradition on in our own family. And it has been um, just a beautiful place for us to have so many meaningful conversations. Some of them weren't so meaningful. Some of them were arguments. <laughs> Some of them were uh, full of drama. But most, most importantly, Lessons were learned in all of those scenarios. 
Because this is a place where we always came together. And even to this day, with seven kids grown and out of the house, they come in when we invite them for dinner. They come in, we all sit around the table together. And it's just, it's just like it was when they were all home, laughing and talking and telling stories and talking about politics and talking about the Bible and scriptures and what God's doing in their lives. And um, just so many beautiful, wonderful experiences around the dinner table. And all of this, again, created a very strong sense of security and belonging and identity for me and my brother and my sister. Um, so I was the oldest, and then my brother is 17, young, 17 months younger than me, and my sister is seven years younger than me. Um, I, I was born in Washington State, um, but I grew up pretty much in California. I went back to Washington State when I was uh, uh, 20 years old um, because, as I mentioned before, I was struggling as a teenager. What am I going to do? I became a nanny. I went to nanny school in Beverly Hills. So before I tell that story, I want to tell you a little bit about my teens. So I told you in grade school, um, there was a good chunk of time, probably fourth to eighth grade, uh, where I went attended a small public country school. There were about 95 kids in kindergarten to eighth grade. So we had one teacher for seventh and eighth grade. Um, that is the place where I happened to meet my best friend who happened to be the daughter of the teacher of that seventh and eighth grade class. And I can tell you that that teacher taught me so much. Uh, in fact, some of the things he taught me really fed into how I homeschooled our kids. So one of the things that he would do is every day when we came into the classroom, up on the chalkboard, there would be daily assignment uh, daily assignments. And so we had a three by five index card and he would have um, all of everything we were supposed to get done that day on the chalkboard. We would copy it down onto a three by five card. It was called a daily assignment card. And every day we had to take that card home with us and have our parents sign off on it. They had to initial it every single day. So how this teacher worked is he um, for the most part, pretty much all the time, if we worked hard and efficiently, we could get all of our schoolwork done in the classroom. Now, if we messed around, wasted time, got in trouble, um, and ended up having to sit outside the door or whatever of the classroom, uh, yes, we did that. They did that back then. Um, then we would have homework that night. But otherwise, most of the time, we would not. And so there was an accountability between the teacher and us and the parents. And so what I loved about that was the fact that I knew what was expected every day of me. And that's what I tried to carry on with our kids as we began to homeschool. Uh, several years ago, I had an opportunity to thank this teacher because um, I'm still somewhat connected to him because his daughter is still my best friend out of all of these years. Uh, we, we were 12 when we met. Uh, we're now 52 and 53, and uh, we lived away from each other for years and years and years while we were having babies and raising our families. And three years ago, uh, I moved to North Carolina where she was living. And so now we only live a couple hours apart, and it's fantastic. I love it. Um, but this teacher, I said to him, you know, I don't think I've ever thanked you. I just want to thank you so much for the way that you taught and all that you taught us. Um, in that classroom. You have no idea how much it impacted me. And he started laughing. And I'm thinking, what is so funny, right? He, he laughed and he said, I didn't know what I was doing. 
He said, back in those days, you went to college. There were no internships or, um, uh, what is it, where the, where the, uh, the teachers get to practice student teaching, I guess is what it's called. There was none of that. He said, they threw you in a classroom and said, and told them one piece of advice, teach how your favorite teacher taught you. And I thought that was absolutely brilliant. What great advice to any homeschooling mom. Teach how your favorite teacher taught you. In other words, take the things that seem to work for you and resonate with you and try using them with your kids and see if it doesn't resonate with them. The other part that I loved about what he said is he didn't know what he was doing. Do any of us feel like we know what we're doing when we start homeschooling? Of course not. But he just got in there and he did it. And I'm telling you, he rocked it. And so can you. So as I'm uh, going into the teen years, um, I attended two high schools, uh, one for three years, um, actually three high schools, one my uh, freshman year for one semester, and then all the way up to my senior year, I went to another high school. So that was kind of where the bulk of my high school happened. And it was with a lot of the kids that I had gone to grade school with. So that was a little more familiar. And then my senior year, my family moved and I ended up at a high school that I didn't know a soul. I worked really hard. I got out of there in one semester. And that's when I launched into wondering what it is I'm going to do. I thought I was going to be a travel agent. Um, and turns out I decided to become a nanny. But in my high school years, a couple of things that, that st- stand out to me that I, I want to tell you about are, um, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. I, you know, basically prayed a prayer of faith at four years old. But as you all know, it takes time to really learn and embrace what your faith is really all about. And so in my teen years, um, I went to a youth group that I absolutely loved, and it was um, at an Assembly of God church. I've been to all different churches throughout the years. The other thing I, I want to point out is I have been to so many different churches over the years, which I think has really given me a broad view of what it means to be a Christian and part of the body of Christ, which is... Uh, we call it the church universal, right? It's the, the the church all over the world. So I got tastes of different denominations. And so I, I think that because of that, I have a broader viewpoint of what, um, what the body of Christ looks like, how many different ways there are to worship and they're still legitimate, you know? Um, anyway, so I really wanted to, as a, as a teenager, um, just be a light to the people that I went to school with. And one of the things that I initiated was a prayer around the flagpole. Um, I think it was myself and several other Christian friends of mine. Every morning we would stand around the flagpole and we would pray over um, over the school, over our day, um, over our country. And uh, it was a great experience. It was it was one of those experiences where I, I got to feel like I was standing up for something um, that I, I wanted and needed to stand up for. And it was a testimony to the people around me as well. Um, another thing that stands out to me is in my English class, uh, there was a uh, teacher, Mrs. Iden, who did something that I'll, I'll, I always, always remembered and always really enjoyed. And this is something that um, you can actually incorporate in, in your school um, as kind of an interesting 
if you have a kid who's, I guess, a word smart kid, they might enjoy this. Um, Every day we would walk into the classroom and on the chalkboard, there would be um, a quote or a phrase. And we opened up our notebooks and we wrote that quote or phrase across the top of, of the page. And then we wrote a paragraph or two about that particular thing. Um, it wasn't edited. It wasn't looked at. It wasn't critiqued. It was just our opportunity to sh- put our thoughts on paper about that particular quote. Um, I think that Julie at Brave Writer would say that that was like free writing. And that was something I really, really enjoyed. And it really... Uh, I've I found that inspirational as I've um, become more of a writer in recent days again. Um, so anyway, that was a great experience for me. The other inner experience that I had that was really interesting was um, I did a speech on uh, John F. Kennedy, uh, the assassination, and um, it was a prepared speech. And I remember talking to my biology teacher and telling him that I was doing this. And he said, well, you know what? I have someone that you should talk to. And he literally, because again, there's no internet, right? No Zoom meeting, no texting. He gives me the phone number of one of the FBI agents who was on the investigation for the John F. Kennedy assassination. That to me was so incredibly fascinating. Um, I really enjoyed that conversation with him, and it was just a real eye-opener, and I got to share that information in my speech, which was really a lot of fun. The other thing that happened in high school is when I was a freshman, I went to a small Christian school, and this school was full of kids who believed that they were Christians because their parents were Christians, and they went to church their whole lives, so they assumed they were Christians. I knew by the fruit in their lives that many of them probably weren't. And so I invited Greg Laurie. I was going to Harvest Christian Fellowship at the time. And if anybody knows who Greg Laurie is, he's been around forever. Um, but back then I was in high school. So that was, you know, 30 year, 30, 33 years ago, something like that. I graduated in 86. Anyway, so this was probably 82, 1982, 83, something like that. Um, I hounded him and hounded him and hounded him in a very respectful way with some encouragement from my parents, asked him if he would speak at, um, uh, we always had chapel on Fridays at this Christian school in the gym. So finally, he, he got back to me and said, you have been so persistent that I'm going to come. And so he came and he, I, he asked about the audience. He asked about who you would be speaking to. And I told him, and he came there and he gave a clear gospel message and you could have heard a pin drop in that gym. It was so quiet. And several of the kids raised their hands to give their lives to the Lord. Now, I don't know what happened after that, but it was quite moving. And um, I was, it was very inspirational. And um, afterwards, my parents and I went out to breakfast with Greg Laurie. So that was just a really, another really fun experience. Now, fast forward, um, I become, I decide I want to become a nanny and I decide that I'm going to go to nanny school in Beverly Hills. And so the arrangement was that um, I would have a host family that I babysat for for free and they would give me room and board. And then I would go to this school so many days a week. Um, and there were literally eight of us in the classroom. And it was in a basement on a side road off of Rodeo Drive, right? So when um, all these girls came from all over the country, Wisconsin, I mean, they were from all over the place. And uh, of course, when you become fast friends because the group is small, you do things together. And at lunchtime, you walk around uh, Rodeo Drive and, you know, walk in stores you can't afford to buy 
uh, anything from, but it was really fascinating to watch and to people watch and to see some of the people that, you know, you're looking at them going, wait a minute. Yes, I'm dating myself. Jimmy Stewart was still alive then, and I saw him on several occasions. And um, at one point, I had interviews, personal interviews, with Sally Field and with Jamie Lee Curtis, separate interviews, separate places, um, to basically uh, work for them as a nanny to take care of their kids. I actually really didn't want either of the jobs. I wasn't sure I really wanted them, but I really wanted the interview. So I did the interview and and I had that experience and it was great. But one thing I learned from that time in Beverly Hills was that honestly, uh, no matter how famous someone is, they, they put their pants on the same way we do. They still have to eat. They still have to use the bathroom. They're human, just like the rest of us. They just happen to be in the public eye. And so that was a really great thing to learn at that stage of the game at, you know, 20 years old. And so I could move forward actually with even more confidence, uh, knowing that people are just people and I wasn't um, as easily intimidated and, you know, it, it just sort of fed into more confidence. Um, so at that point, um, I worked a little bit down there in Southern California, but ultimately ended up moving to Washington State, um, back around extended family, a church that I had been to um, at one point in the game when I was 18, I really wanted to go back to. I just, there was this compelling to go back to Washington. And my grandma sent me an ad out of the paper. She literally cut it out and mailed it to me. And because that's what we did then, right? And I applied for this job. And um, eventually I, I ended up getting it. And I was taking care of a three-year-old little girl who had leukemia. And so I walked through that journey with her and her family, including a bone marrow transplant. And she ended up being, at the time, the youngest um, successful uh, unrelated donor when it comes to a bone marrow transplant because the marrow she received was not from a family member, it was from someone else. And so that was kind of an interesting thing. I never wanted to be a nurse. That is something I already, I told people I didn't want to, I never wanted to work in the medical field. And then here I was taking care of her IV, spending the night with her at the hospital, walking through this bone marrow transplant with her. And, um, you know, God, you do what God calls you to do. And he doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the call. And he called me to that. I tried to at one point quit. And um, God got me in a situation where I couldn't actually get to the phone to make the phone call. Um, I just, it was really hard watching this little girl go through all of this. And I was like, God, I can't do this anymore. She, I, I just, I can't watch her do this. This is just traumatizing. And I just, I don't think I can do this. And so I popped my head out and I'm looking for a nurse anywhere. I can't find one anywhere. And by the time one finally came around, I had settled down and decided I wasn't going to make that phone call. So, you know, God is sovereign over our lives. So fast forward, I don't know, probably not even nine months. And, uh, I met my husband. Didn't know he was going to be my husband at the time, but met him. We uh, dated for three months. We were engaged for six months, and then we were married. So I was married to a man I knew less than a year, but we spent so much time together, and we had so many conversations, um, and I just knew. I knew he was the right one, and he felt the same way. And when we got married, he kept telling everybody and me that he wanted two kids, and I knew in my heart of hearts that I wanted 10, right? So now our big joke is I tell people um, I, I wanted, he wanted two, and I wanted 10, and we compromised at eight. <laughs> I think he did more compromising than I did. 
But uh, if you listen to any of uh, to the podcast that he and I did together about children being a blessing, you can go back and, and listen to that one, and you'll get to hear that story of how that all changed uh, for us. Um, I remember in the years before I had children, before I met my husband, I remember asking myself, okay, Dorenda, if having a large family means that you're going to not have a very good looking body, right? Um, Because I I liked physical fitness. I worked out. I wasn't, you know, like insane about it or anything like that, but I I liked being healthy. I liked taking care of myself and exercising and um, staying strong. And, um, but I realized um, I really, if I, if, if God would bless me with that many children, then um, I was willing to give up my body for it because that's how much I wanted it. That's how much of a desire I had to have these children. And then um, I also asked myself, well, what if you don't have a lot of money? And I tried to think of like the worst case scenario. In my mind, you know, the poorest place would probably be like a single wide mobile home in a mobile home park. Now, if any of you are listening, um, please don't be offended by that. That was just all I could think of. Like that would be an affordable place to live if we had absolutely nothing. Would I be willing to live there um, for a long time if it meant that I could have all of these children? And the answer was yes. I would make that mobile home or manufactured home the cutest, warmest, homiest place ever. And, you know, there's something about being willing to overcome obstacles. It's something about, there's something about being content right where you are. There's so much joy in that. And I could sense that if I could find contentment there, that that would be a blessing. If I could have these children I could find contentment. And so, you know, um, honestly, we can find contentment no matter what, because God is God and he is enough. And that's something I learned later on down the road. Um, But again, I was willing to do that. Um, Also, a car. What if I couldn't drive like, what if my car wasn't very good looking? And I'm not really into cars that much, but I don't really like to drive beaters either, you know. So I'm imagining like a van that's like many, many, many years old and maybe rusted out a little bit. And, you know, would I be willing to drive one of those if I could have more kids? And the answer was yes. (laughs) I know you guys probably think I'm absolutely nutso, right? You're like, okay, forget it. I'm not listening to this woman anymore. She's a nutcake. (laughs) But I'm telling you, it is just a desire that God put in my heart. And, you know, just like someone puts, just like God puts a desire for someone to be on the mission field, God put that desire in my heart to be a mom. And I'm not ashamed of that. And, you know, if, if people don't like it and they think it's lame, well, that's their business. I feel like I have lived one of the best lives. I've lived the best life I can live and I am living it. And I'm grateful for it. So who cares, right? (laughs) I feel like I'm living the life that God has called me to live. And that's the most important thing. It doesn't matter if you have 10 kids or two kids or one kids or no kids. It matters, are you living the life that God is calling you to live? So uh, my husband and I get married. We start having children. And of course, like any couple, we hit hard seasons. And... Of course, we struggled, but as we've walked through each of those seasons, and I will share various stories with you in the coming 
podcast episodes, there's a couple of things that God has just brought me back around to over and over and over again. And that is he is sovereign and he is good. And I'm actually talking about that in the next podcast when I talk about um, basically hope to anchor our souls. Um, This is something that anchored my soul and has and continues to anchor my soul. And that is knowing that God is sovereign and knowing that it, he is good. And you've probably, if you've listened to me for a while, you, you know I say this. It's one thing to know that your God is all-powerful. But if he isn't good, we're sunk, right? Who wants a God who's all-powerful but not good? That wouldn't be safe. That wouldn't be, he, we couldn't trust him, Right? But we can. And that's what, those are the biggest lessons that I have learned over the years. And every time I'm in a new struggle, I go back to the truth that he is sovereign and he is good. What I like to say is you learn that lesson in one scenario and then God brings another completely different scenario where you have to relearn it in that situation. And I liken it to um, like a, a... a fine gemstone, like a diamond, the more facets it has, the more brilliant it is. So the more times we learn these truths in new situations, the more brilliant, more brilliantly we reflect the glory of God. And so as I move forward, we move forward with having our eight kids in 13 years, um, over two decades of keeping my hand to the plow, fixing meals, homeschooling, caring for children, nurturing their growth. I would ask myself along the way as I saw other moms able to do more things than I could do, I seemed to only be able to do what was right in front of me and that was this life that he had given me at home. And sometimes I would feel guilty for that and I would feel less than And so I would ask him, Lord, am I missing something? Am I being selfish by just being at home and taking care of my family? And what I heard time and time again was keep your hand to the plow. Just like a farmer in the Bible, they would would have uh, one hand on the reins of the horse or the oxen that was pulling the plow and the other hand on the plow and they're they're steering this keeping the rows straight keeping it digging just the right depth focused completely on the task right in front of them that's what he was calling me to do and every time it would help me turn my attention back to what was in front of me and fully engage with my family, fully engage in my marriage, fully engage in what God had put in front of me. Did I get tired? Absolutely. Were there times I felt despair? Yes. Were there times I was completely and utterly exhausted? Yes. And yes. But God was faithful to meet me every single time. Moms, it doesn't matter what anybody else thought. You know, and I I knew that at the time, but you still have the struggles about sometimes what other people think, but God was faithful to help me to, to really focus on the task at hand. But now fast forward and I'm looking hindsight and I'm telling you moms, we play to an audience of one. That's it. We play to the audience of God. He is the one watching all those moments when nobody else sees what you sacrifice. Nobody else sees 
the acts of kindness, that cup of cold water. You know, Jesus said, um, he was talking to his disciples, and he said, basically, you know, whenever you give a cup of cold water to someone in need, you are giving it to me. And I tried to remind myself of that as I served our children. And, you know, because you do a lot of that. It's a lot of butt wiping, a lot of diaper changes, a lot of meals to cook, a lot of things to clean up. And yet, if I could think of myself as handing that cup of cold water to those in need every time I'm ministering to my children, I, I, I could recognize it and I could see it and identify it as worship to the Lord, to that audience of one. Because you know what? God gives greater rewards and more fruitful um, uh, harvests, I believe, when those things are unseen. So all of those things that you're doing right now that nobody seems to care about, we live in a culture that wants to be seen all the time, recognized for everything. And 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 many uh, younger people have been raised that way just because of social media and phones and all that kind of thing. There is a beauty and a peace that passes all understanding in doing things in the unseen and doing them as unto the Lord. There is a beauty in that. There is so much satisfaction in that. And that's some of what my mom was talking about when when she said, there's so much satisfaction in being a mom. You get to do these things before the Lord, before that audience of one. And so we invest with no accolades, or very few accolades, we just continue to invest. And I continued to do that over those two decades, and I continue to do that. You know, we think it only happens while they're at home, and yes, the bulk of it, a lot of it happens while they're at home, but you know what? I'm finding that even as our kids are adults, because we have kept good relationships with all of them, we are able to speak into their lives now. It doesn't mean we're telling them what to do. It means we have the opportunity to to show them, to share with them our heart and our perspective, and then we leave it with them to decide whether um, it's something, whether they want to do it that way or not. It's an offering to them. But we still have the opportunity to offer it because they still listen to us. They still care what we think, but not too much. And that's the kind of relationship we have. And so we, we continue to invest in our family. Um, so uh, we were in Washington State for uh, 28 years. We, um, 14 years on the west side of the state, 14 years on the east side. And like I mentioned before, three years ago, we moved to North Carolina. It's now been three and a half years. And I can tell you that it was one of the hardest moves of our lives. I know beyond a shadow of a, a, uh, beyond a shadow of a doubt that we were supposed to do it, but it's brought me personally into a new season. Um, family is still my priority, and I, I didn't mention this before. But as I walked this time out with our kids, you know, I mentioned serving them, and I mentioned, um, and when I say serving them, I mean being a mom to them, setting boundaries, having a, a routine, being consistent, giving them safety and security, and and a sense of belonging, and helping them find their identity, and and so much of it's just as the Lord leads. But the thing that has helped me so much through all of this 
this is slowing my heart down because moms, honestly, I love being productive. I love getting stuff done. I love being efficient. But at one point, my mentoring mom said to me when I was kind of venting to her after I'd had my fourth baby and I was frustrated with something, I don't even know what it was. She just said to me, Dorinda, you just need to learn to be And at that time, I thought, what in the world is she talking about? I honestly didn't know what she was saying. But that resonated with me, and I slowly just continued to chew on that and then begin to walk it out. And it meant slowing my heart down to be with my children in the moment. We often get preoccupied with the next thing that we feel like we need to do, and we miss the moments we have right now. And obviously, we need to plan. The Bible says a wise person looks ahead, but the fool keeps on going and suffers for it. So there's a there's a balance there of... of doing a certain amount of planning, but also understanding that we make our plans, but God directs our steps. So it's this facilitating what God orchestrates. And in order to do that well, we have to be able to hit the pause button, slow our hearts down and listen, God, what do you have for my family? Instead of just hotly pursuing what I think is best for our family, God, I want to know what you think. And especially when you've run into obstacles and when we butt heads with our kids, that's the time where we we bow the knee to God and we say, Lord, what do you have for us in all of this? What do you have for our family? What do you have for this child? What do you have for me? And so slowing my heart to be unhurried um, when God was calling me to that. And And so through the course of the years, my family has always stayed my priority. And even now, as God has opened up ministry to younger moms, um, to other moms, and to families, um, he's expanding uh, this ministry that he's given me. um, And I'm really excited about it. Um, it, It's expanding into not just homeschooling, but motherhood and grandparenting unhurried a grandparenting, unhurried parenting, unhurried marriage, unhurried living, unhurried faith, all these different areas. Um, I, I I know God is wanting us as a family to move into, so my family is going to be joining me in uh, some of this ministry opportunity too. But like I said, as I see this thing expanding, um, I also recognize that I have to keep that unhurried heart before the Lord in the midst of the changes, in the midst of the excitement and the growth is absolutely essential that that unhurried heart is a regular place that I go. It's a regular thing that I do, that I slow down and listen for the Lord's voice. My family is still and always will be my priority. God is good, moms. He loves us. And it's in the unhurried and the quiet that he speaks. So I'm hoping that as I continue to share my heart in uh, the upcoming episodes of On the Porch, that I share my stories and my lessons learned, that faith and hope will rise up in you as you listen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for every mom who's listening. Thank you for giving us this time together. Father, I pray that somehow my testimony would be an encouragement to the moms who are listening. Father, I thank you for giving us that nurturing nature. Thank you for giving us the children that you have, whether they're via adoption, 
whether they came through natural birth, they're fostered. Lord, we thank you that you are the one who weaves families together. Thank you that we can trust you, that you are sovereign over when the children join our family and how our families grow. And we thank you that in all of it, you are good, that you have a good plan and a good purpose for us, that your banner over us is love, and that you have, um, as it says in uh, uh, the scriptures, it talks about Um, that you have plans to give us a future and a hope. And we thank you for that, God. Thank you for this time together. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much, moms, for being here. I look forward uh, to connecting with you more.